Hello and welcome to Shelf Matters. I am your host, Christo Giles, and I have had the pleasure of inflicting myself on everyone here for the past 10 years. I'd like to welcome my guests, David Hennel, Len Regan, Richard May, our first glam rock stars, as it were. Welcome. Thank you. And I think I'll start with the obvious question, the one that I get from everyone who hears about you, in fact. What is the Australian Timetable Association and why timetables? Well, you might say, why not timetables? They're part of our everyday life. Everything runs to some sort of order. But we're concentrating on the timetables, the ways in which public transport operates, trains, buses, aeroplanes, uh, ferries, um, trams. They're the documents that order the way in which these public transport services run and the timetable tells people when their service will be at the place they want it to be. This sort of thing has had people fascinated forever. Um, people have hobbies, this is one of them. Uh, people are fascinated by the way in which the trains, the trams, the buses operate, why they want run to regular times, and they collect the printed versions of this because mm. they like to study it. They like to work it out. They like to say, well, if this train goes out here, when does it come back again? Um, so it becomes quite a, a, a well-known hobby or interest of people um, who collect these timetables and some people have very large collections of them. Some people only have trains, some people have buses, some people have everything. So the association is a not-for-profit not for profit community organisation that gives the opportunity for all those people to get together, to share um, their interests, their enthusiasm, uh, to meet, and in many cases to exchange timetables so that people have better collections. Well, thank you. That's very interesting. I've had my own brother, in fact, asking me in a much more explicit way the very question I put to you all. And I suppose my follow-up then is, what brought the three of you to timetables and then to the ATA itself? Well, I guess I've always been interested in trains from being a little tacker growing up. And my grandfather lived in Adelaide in the hills and his property backed onto the railway line that ran between Adelaide and Melbourne. Hmm. So we would visit on holidays, watch the trains go by, then one day, uh, as an eight-year-old, I discovered in the magazine rack um, a South Australian Railways timetable. And it had some lovely pictures in the timetable, which initially drew me to it. But inside were all of the times that the trains were operating or supposed to operate at. And so I was then in a position to start saying, well, that train that I've just seen going by According to this timetable, it was going to tail and bend. So I found that quite fascinating and then could use it throughout my stay, not only to identify where trains were going to and from, but whether they were on time. So from an eight-year-old being interested by all of those sorts of things, it just grew into a, a broader interest, an ongoing interest in the nature of timetables and what they could tell you. 
um, as I grew up and um, grew older. So you were really out there as an eight-year-old, keeping an eye on the trains, ready with a sternly worded letter if you saw any of them were late? Well, I certainly made it known to my parents that that train coming from Victor Harbour was an hour and a half late this morning. Oh, how dare they? <laughs> and Len, what about you, sort of the chief man here, the archivist? What brought you to this all? It goes back a long, long way. I can remember uh, riding my bike to school and having a timetable for that. Um, I'd leave if I left home at, say, 7.45, I knew when I should be at the various driveways along the way to the school. Um, and uh, I used to draw imaginary towns and, and put in the imaginary tram lines for them and build the timetables. But every tram connected with every other tram uh, so that you could always get off one tram onto another. Mm. I'd do that instead of doing my homework. Um, so when, after I... Uh, by the time I got to uni and that sort of thing, it was getting a bit more serious. Um, and I, you know, collected time trials, but I had this fascination for being able to build them, to mm. build the time trials, mainly for buses in those days. Uh, so I got employment in that area in the Urban Transit Authority in Sydney. Oh, yes. um, we had a program of redoing the timetables for all the, the privately operated bus companies in Western Sydney. And then I got my dream. I became the manager, then general manager of Newcastle Buses, uh, where I had to build the timetables. 8,000 bus trips a week for 250 buses. Uh, we improved that and got it down to about 180 buses. Um, but uh, throughout that network, every bus ran to a regular timetable, um, you know, on the half hour or the hour and where necessary all the buses met with each other. It was a fascinating time. Um, but the important thing why I had the back as well as building the time travels in, that was the early days of computerisation too. Um, it was important that people knew, and I was very strong on the information, how did people get this information? Mm. Um, and that's where I spent in the next 20 years of my career consulting in that, um, building and promoting and producing information about the bus services in the Newcastle area and other areas too as a consultant. So when I retired, I naturally took on the job of being the archivist of keeping all these timetables, not only my collection, but everyone else's, um, given how important it was to, to build them through my career. They're worth preserving. So you really found a way to get everyone to bequeath their collections to you. It's a brilliant plan, I must say. <laughs> now we'll go to last but certainly not least, David, tell us, how did you come to all of this? My father lived in Mont Albert and at about the age of seven, which is about 1920, his mother took dad Auntie to Belgrave to spend the week in a guest house, as one did in those days, you know, before motels and things like that. Now, Dad was fully acquainted with the steam hall suburban trains that were going into the city, and they were just a fact of life. Hmm. But when they got to Upper Furniture Gully, they had to change to the narrow gauge to go to Belgrave. Of course, that narrow gauge is now Puffing Billy, although it doesn't run from Upper Furniture Gully. And he was absolutely gobsmacked by this wonderful little train. He was gobsmacked by this wonderful little train till the day he died in 2000. 
Um, Dad's father died before Dad was born, so he was raised by his mother, and she died when he was seven, and he was then he and his aunt, his sister, were then raised by grandparents. And the opportunity for dealing with trains slipped by the board, other than for going into the city and that sort of thing. Now, in the early 1950s, we lived in East Morland, and the Dad went in to work on one of the East Morland local suburban trains, because at that stage it was a single line from East Morland to Glen Waverley, and in peak period, every second train terminated at East Morland, and you used those because those were the ones you could get on with the route. And at Glen Iris, the gentleman joined the train every morning, and they sat together and started talking and discovered they had a mutual interest in railways, and he took off then. And naturally, since I was at a very formative age in the early and mid-50s, it took off for me too. The first rail enthusiast tour I went on was the Geelong Centenary train in 1957. And the rail enthusiast tours, the time table was distributed to all the passengers. And it was the internal railway time table. It wasn't especially type one, it was the real one. Yeah. And that showed where you met other trains and how long you spent at the station and all that sort of thing. And I found this really interesting. In 1959, by the stage I'm nine, Bill, this other gentleman, then Iris, uh, told Dad that the Victorian Railways had just issued a brand new country timetable dated the 1st of June, 1959. We got a couple of copies for the family and I was gobsmacked. Here was this wonderful document. I knew at a very young age where Piangle was, beyond Swan Hill. And I've been into timetables ever since. And there are two books that have really shaped my life. One was my fifth form, as it was in those days, chemistry textbook, Stone Phillips, um, A Modern Approach to Chemistry. That led to my career as a chemistry and maths teacher. And that 1959 railway timetable, which led to my life. So I suppose it was quite logical that I became involved with the association. Well, it seems like the common thread is childhood experiences, formative experiences mm. that all brought yes, you yes, right. together to this. Well, I think it's important because that's when you're developing your ideas, you look up to your parents. Mm. Well, maybe not so much sometimes today, but we do. Mm. And so if they take an interest and uh, guide your interest, mm. then that's life-forming, isn't it? Well, Mum decided that since her husband and the two boys were very interesting trains, she might as well join in too, and she did. Oh, Although she did always have a book or a magazine to read when we went into stations in the country. If we can turn now to talking a little bit about the collection, you actually have a great deal stored with us in the Calm Centre at the moment that you're working on. I'd like it if you could perhaps talk to us and to the audience about what is some interesting pieces in the collection or anything that you think needs to be highlighted? There's uh, thousands of interesting things in that collection. Um, it's one of the reasons it keeps us going. Okay, there's some mundane stuff, just one bus timetable after another. But many of the railway timetables hold fascinating bits of information about where the train went to at a particular time in the past. Um, what sort of trains went on that line, what was the composition of the train, when it was a steam train and then a diesel train or just a little old rail motor. But I suppose there's a couple that, that uh, shine. I'll use this one, for example. Um, it's a pretty rare timetable. 
it's a timetable for airline services in Australia in 1929. Mm. Um, it's put out by Aerial Services Australia. And in those days, if you wanted to travel from Melbourne to Sydney by rail, uh, by, by plane in 1929, you caught the plane at uh, half past seven in the morning on a Tuesday, once a week. And you flew in this little plane, um, six-seater plane, mm -hmm. with uh, wicker seats each side of the plane and an aisle down the middle. Um, and you got to Hay then at uh, about uh, 11 o'clock. Um, and you've been up and down to all the little aerodromes on the way. And you waited there at Hay uh, until two o'clock, till the plane got in from Adelaide. Then at two o'clock, you flew similarly again over to, through Narendra to Cootamundra. And you got to Cootamundra at uh, five o'clock. Now, in those days, these planes from Melbourne didn't fly into Sydney. So I suppose you had a bit of time to spare and then your plane ticket included a sleeping berth on the train to Sydney. You didn't fly into Sydney. And that journey arrived in Sydney at six o'clock the next morning. So half past seven one day till six o'clock the next day if you wanted to fly from Melbourne to Sydney. Now, there's a a mountain of history in that mm. as to what was going on, why was it done that way. We can't find, give you all those answers, but that was the early days of flying. And this 24-page uh, book spends most of its time talking about why you should fly, the benefits of flying. Well, the fare was £11.08, uh, which converted to today's values was about $1,000. So and it was slow all day all the way on the train. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It sounds like one of the great benefits was making one's wallet lighter. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's one of our gems that uh, uh, we've, we've got, yes. Look, also at the, at the trains, this is just one example of many, many examples of trains. But this is the timetable of the trains in Victoria from uh, 140 years ago, 1884. Mm. And it lists... The value of it is it lists every country train and every suburban train all in the same timetable, which... And every, every goods train too. And the goods train, yes. Mm. But it tells you how far they went out into the country. So in terms of the growth of Victoria and regional Victoria, it, it tells with great detail as to where the settlements were occurring mm. and what sort of services people had to get there. But at the back, it has a list of the times and the destinations of all the trains that left either um, Flinders Street Station and then another list for the trains that left Spencer Street Station because in those days the passenger trains didn't run between the two. Um, and absolutely amazing, there's a train arriving and leaving every three to five minutes right through the day. Mm, Gives the you golden age of yes, train okay. transport. Yes, so that you, know, you can imagine the historical value of that sort of information uh, and, the, and the way in which Thing, if you've got full sets of these, which we're aiming to get, um, how valuable that is to historians in, in working out how development occurred and how people travelled over time. And so that's the sort of very point you would make to people asking 
what the value is to academia and to students. Exactly. That it does provide this historical information. It is a mine of information waiting to be tapped. Well, for instance, you can look at uh, timetables for trains going to Ballarat as an example. Uh, in the mid-1970s, a timetable like that that Len's just um, showed us um, would have had two trains a day during the week that went from Melbourne to Ballarat and another two trains that went beyond Ballarat to Horsham or Dimbula. Um, if you looked at today's timetable, on a Monday to Friday, there's over 30 trains a day going from Melbourne to Ballarat and another 20 or so which only go as far as Melton or Bacchus March. So if you look at all of the timetables through that period, you can piece together those changes. And uh, if someone was looking at social histories or the way Melbourne suburbia has changed over time, these documents provide important insights to <coughs> all of that. Well, a few years ago now, the association received a request from someone researching Australian military history. The first military flight in Australia was from Yarrow, of all the unlikely places down in South Gippsland. And some of the military heavies had to come across from Adelaide for it. And the question that we received was why did it take two nights to go on the train from Adelaide to Alberton, because at that stage the railway hadn't been built into Yarrow, but only one night to go back. 1915, so we dug out a 1915 timetable to tell the people exactly why. Because the train from Adelaide got into Melbourne after the only train of the day, which was a morning train for Alberton and Port Albert, had already left. So therefore they had to spend a night, a night on the train coming from Adelaide and another night in Melbourne. Going back to Adelaide, they hit the jackpot and on one day a week there was an early train in to Melbourne from and that got him in time to connect with the train to Adelaide. So on that particular one day of the week, they could get from Alberton to Adelaide with one night only. And we had the time to, to give them that information. It had them completely flummoxed. And they were able to incorporate that information into the centenary celebrations at Yarram. So there we go, the collection's already sort of proving its worth. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask the three of you a question I think is very relevant to many in the glam sector, some more than others, about a digitalisation and the movement of storage collections towards a more digital medium. Do you see a future in that for yourselves and your materials? Well, the, the basic principles of retaining timetables of today as documents for historians in the future still remains. But the format of that information will be different. Today it's in, it's in printed form. Um, in the future it will be a file on a computer. Um, so it doesn't change the purpose of our exercise. It does change the format of it. Uh, at the moment we need shelves here at Cavill to store these paper timetables. Um, what we've got to go negotiate now is how do we store all these timetables that are only available as a file on a computer? How do we collect them, which is even harder? Because in the olden days, people would go to a railway station or a bus stop or even on a bus and collect the paper timetables. I used to do it myself. I'd get on any bus and take six timetables all the time. 
or ten times up, depending on how many we needed for all our friends. Oh, and, yeah. Spoiled. Yes. Yeah. But uh, now, you how do you know that there's a new timetable uh, if it's only available on a computer? Um, we've got to have our scouts out there to uh, get them and then try and centralise the collection of them into some sort of computer system, which we're trying to set up on our computer that we've got here at Cabell. But what we do after that is how we get them into the State Library in Victoria. We haven't quite worked that out yet. And is that something you'd like to see support from Caval for, a digital storage solution going forward? Is that something you'd all be interested in? Certainly. I mean, that, that's, as I said, it's something we haven't quite worked out yet how to do it. But if Caval can support in that, that would be magnificent. Since we've been talking about Caval and storage here in our CALM facility, uh, how did you all come to know about CALM, Caval and our services in the first place? It goes back to about 2008 when the association realised, that's the Timetable Association, realised that it had to do something to find some place to store these timetables of its members, which I mentioned earlier, that members were growing older and wanted to put them somewhere. So I contacted Professor Graham Curry at Monash University. He's the Professor of Public Transport, and I thought he was an appropriate bloke to contact. But he said, look, I know a bloke who might be able to help you. And that's Des Cowley at the State Library of Victoria. Uh, he's got a bit of an interest in timetables too. Hmm. But Des happened to be the um, director of the Rare Books Collection at the State Library of Victoria. So, uh, a meeting was arranged uh, between us and the people at the State Library of Victoria. I thought, how are we going to know each other? So th there were three of us. And I said to Joe Ritale, the lady we were going to meet, we'll be waiting in the foyer of the uh, State Library of Victoria and I'll be holding a red sky bus timetable. So all of a sudden this lady walked up to us and she said, you didn't need to hold the timetable up. I recognised you were anyway. <laughs> you have that look about you, that we collect timetables <laughs> look. I'm seeing it, it's a little aura. Yes. So, look, we, the State Library of Victoria was very, very um, interested in taking on the concept of a collection. A lot of museums and libraries have one timetable here and a bit of something there. What Victoria, what the State Library of Victoria thrives on and um, re really emphasises its value in having complete collections. And we were offering them the opportunity of a complete collection of timetables. They didn't know much about what timetables were, but it was the fact it was a complete collection of something. So um, the um, negotiations went ahead. We signed a written agreement with them uh, in May 2010 uh, that we would um, we had to catalogue the timetables. But once we had them catalogued, we would deposit them in the State Library. They would convert that to their collection and make that available on their catalogues, which are available worldwide. Um, it took a while to get going, um, but we got so much stuff then, we didn't know where to put it all. So uh, we struggled a bit with storage centres around in Melbourne, but uh, we went back to Graham Curry and said, look, we really need some help where to put this all. And he said, well, why don't you contact Cavill? That's a big library facility somewhere over there in Melbourne. And we, we contacted Cavill here and we got a very warm welcome. 
and, and the future there, you know, the, um, we were able to move all our collection here. We greatly appreciated the uh, support we got from, from Cavill in uh, accepting us, welcoming us and helping us and nothing we've asked for has been too much for them. So, we, and the quality of the storage here is top rate you know, compared to what we had before. So we're now able to work on the collection, get access to anything we want easily and it looks as if we'll be staying here for a long time. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And that also brings me to what might be the final but most important question of the day. Who is your favourite member of the CALM team and why is it me? <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, seriously, I want to thank the three of you for joining us today. It's all been very enlightening. So if you're interested in timetables, doing historical research or anything like that, it will eventually be available for your access at the good old SLV. Thanking you all again, looking forward to working with you in the future and to seeing what becomes of the collection. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. With that, I'd like to conclude today's very interesting discussion. I hope you at home all found it as interesting as I, and I hope you'll join us again for another episode of Shelf Matters. Thank <laughs> you.